please sit down for our Bible readings. first reading this morning is taken from Titus, chapter 1, verses, well, 1 to 2 and 10. And that is on page 1197. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, For the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. The second reading is taken from Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, on page 971. Do not worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour his life. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, they're not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Oh Lord Jesus, open our hearts and and our minds so that we really do receive from you. Uh, We don't want to miss out on anything you want to give us, anything you want us to do, anything how you want us to be. So may we recognize when you're challenging us this morning 
through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. With Nina. In fact, I think you've cheated us out of some reading. It wasn't very clear what the whole reading was, but it was meant to be all chapter 1 of Titus and most uh, first 10 verses of chapter 2. So I think you'll find it very useful to have your uh, Bibles open in front of you. Uh, it's on page 1198. Well, throughout this month, we're looking at Paul's letter to, to Titus. Um, in fact, you missed out last Sunday on chapter 1. Uh, the 8 o'clockers had a dose of chapter 1. And uh, this morning, uh, they've had a chapter 2. Uh, your privilege, you've got double value for money because you're having all of chapter 1 and uh, the first 10 verses of chapter 2 today. Uh, Titus, of course, uh, was a Greek believer, and uh, he had been taught and nurtured by Paul, and he was in many ways a living example of what Jesus Christ was doing among the Gentiles. Paul had very slowly and carefully uh, developed Titus into a responsible leader, and this letter, in many ways, is another step in that discipleship process. Well, there'd been a church planted in Crete, and uh, it was now growing. And Titus was there, and he'd been assigned with a pretty difficult task of overseeing the life and work of the churches and to give them some order. So this letter from Paul, in fact, is... uh, giving Titus encouragement and a good deal of instruction on how the church is to be built up and how the people are to conduct themselves in God's church. This is a letter that plainly speaks of what God desires in his church. Let's remember that this is not our church, this is God's church. I'm not going to, you know, I'd be here for a long, long time if I unpacked all that's in those two chapters. I'm going to gloss over some of them, but I want to pick out a few things this morning for all of us to to pick up as well and understand. You know, there's a greater emphasis in what Paul is saying here, that God wants us to plant the seed of his word. He wants us to water it, and then to just rejoice in whatever God's growth provides. The church's primary mission is to spread the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And I find it very interesting that Paul goes to great pains to speak so much about himself as a servant and apostle in that introduction Uh, in the first few verses of chapter 1. Yes, he is a servant of God. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. But for what purpose? You notice he says immediately, he's there for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. You see, he's there 
as a minister to serve the faith of the people, yes, to, to bring it into being, to, yes, to foster and to nurture that faith and their knowledge of the truth. The truth? Yes, because the fact is that the truth on which our faith rests and grows is so, so important. And Paul emphasizes here that connection between truth and living a meaningful life. See, knowledge of the truth gives meaning to life. Truth gives us a purpose in life. Paul knew his purpose in life as a servant and apostle, doing whatever the Lord of all truth wanted him to do. And that truth, the knowledge of that truth, that leads to godliness. You see, God's truth leads us, leads us to godliness, to being more like God, as it builds character in our own lives. See, Peter in his epistle writes, you ought to live holy and godly lives. And it's the knowledge of the truth that builds us up and empowers us to live that way. And faith and knowledge rest, he goes on to say, on the hope of eternal life. You know, this is not a vague, probable hope, or it might happen, or I hope it happens. Not that sort of hope. This hope of eternal life is a sure and certain guarantee. And he tells us why. Because God, who does not lie, promised it before the beginning of time. You know how much people need to have hope. You know, we live uh, in, an, in an age now when many, many are going through difficult times. Just had to go through the, the weekly news bulletins, the papers, full of gloom and doom. And there are so many families who are caught up in the gloom and doom. And so many of them living without any hope. But there is a hope that is sure and certain a hope that doesn't, is guaranteed. A hope that does indeed, because it is sure and guaranteed, sustains us through the difficult times. There's something better waiting for us. And it's knowledge of the truth that just leads us to seek the Lord, to trust and believe in him and follow him, and then to give us that hope. I wonder why Paul begins his letter in this way. You know, this is Paul's God-inspired way of showing Titus and us that the church has been entrusted with a glorious message, a message to be delivered to the world, and that this is indeed the primary mission of the church. Now, we're not all apostles. <laughs> we're not all called to leadership. But we're if we've said we've chosen and we've been called to follow the Lord, to be disciples in his church, we are all called to respond to Jesus' commission to go and make disciples. And we should all have that same vision, that ambition to cultivate in others the faith which just lays hold of God and Jesus, which lays hold of the knowledge of the truth that truth which issues in godly living, which lays hold of the hope of eternal life, yes, though still in the future, has been promised and guaranteed by Father God himself. 
And, you know, and as the truth in us issues in that godly living, as we who claim to follow Jesus live that way, our godliness should be reflecting the light and love and grace of our Lord. Let me move on. Paul then goes on in from verse 5 onwards to tell Titus that there's unfinished work to be straightened out and there are elders to be appointed. Oh, it's a reminder here, isn't it, that the leader, the pastor, the minister, the rector, the vicar, whoever, does not lead in isolation. I'm not going into the structure in Crete of elder and overseer, presbyter and bishop, bishop, nor what we have here. Uh, But what we need to see is that the New Testament model is not that of a one-person pastorate. It's not one person doing all the work. It's that of a team ministry in which are found different people with different gifts, be they ordained or lay, full-time, part-time, salaried, voluntary, etc. And Paul lays down a list of qualifications here of those who are eligible for team ministry. A big challenge here. Big, big challenge if you, if you look and see what he lays down. You, the key word there is blameless. Have you noticed it? It comes through several, several times. They should be blameless. Thank goodness that word blameless doesn't mean perfect because no one would be qualified. John Stott rightly paraphrases the word blameless with the words not marred by any disgrace. Not marred by any disgrace. And I think that puts it very much more Uh, in a context we can understand. But he says that those who are qualified, those who are eligible, are to be men and women who are blameless, not marred by disgrace in marriage and family life. Men and women who are blameless in character and conduct, whole list there, self-controlled and disciplined in every area, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, Paul says, he or she must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, one who is upright and holy. And then he ends with men and women who are, in one sense, blameless in their holding on to God's word. How does he define it? Encouraging others by sound doctrine and refuting those who oppose it. I mentioned last week, and I mentioned again, as an example, I, I vividly recall the interregnum of 1998, and some of you here will as well, uh, when the dean and Winchester sent us four retired ordained clergymen to help us cover the ministry in the six-month gap before John Harkin arrived. One of them speaking from this very pulpit here on my right, oh dear, uh, preached total heresy about salvation. Happily, there were those in the leadership team who were rooted in the truth, and they challenged him and refuted what he'd said. I'd like to think that we were loving merciful and gracious, but we didn't shy away 
from the truth. And in recent weeks, we'll recall how Gavin Ashenden has condemned the reading of anti-Christian extracts from the Quran in a church in Scotland. Now, he's a member, if you like, of the wider team ministry, but he refuted that unsound doctrine, proclaiming rather the truth of Jesus and speaking that truth in love. You see, reminders here, let's always beware of false teachers as we hold firmly to the knowledge of God's truth. Never, never let go of the truths that underpin our faith and our belief and trust in God, the Father who made the world, our belief and trust in Jesus who's redeemed us and our belief and trust in the Holy Spirit who equips us to be the people of God. You see, Paul experienced the false teaching of many. He didn't remain silent or idle on the grounds that everybody has a right to his or her own opinion. He confronted them all with the truth and he worked tirelessly to build up the churches to impact the world with their message of the truth, of God's love and salvation. He saw too how important it is to have the right people in the team ministry of every church. I believe it remains for us to evangelize this community here of St. Juan and to have the right people too as characterized here in the leadership of the church. I'm going to move on quickly to chapter 2 and perhaps unpack in a little bit more detail things that are there. You'll notice very quickly that the emphasis here in chapter 2 is once again on sound doctrine in the church. Sound doctrine as the church, the people, are nurtured and built up. We, the church, we are the body of Christ in this place. And the body needs to be taught. We need to be taught. You know, we live in an age when we're constantly reminded to look after our physical bodies. We should exercise, we should have the right amount of sleep, we should eat wisely, we should have a diet of five of this a day and five of that a day. We should, why? So that we have healthy bodies. And you know, if Christ's body is to be healthy, we, the body of Christ, We need to have exercise, yes, prayer and worship, for example. But we need to have a good diet. And the main ingredient in that diet is sound doctrine. So Paul tells Titus, teach, 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 teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. And you'll notice that he goes on to focus on one group at a time. And he teaches them so that the gospel and the truth will transform people so that they will be individuals marked out by certain characteristics. Shall we look at those groups? 
Perhaps as we look at those groups, we might want to look at ourselves too. You know, asking ourselves, have the gospel truths and the work of the Holy Spirit transformed us into the kind of people that Paul lists here in chapter 2? First of all, teach the older men to be. Who thinks they qualify as older men here this morning? Some of you aren't sure, quite clearly. Well, I'm well and truly in that group. Uh, But, you know, let's ask ourselves as men, older men, has God's word, the truth, that the sound doctrine that's come our way over the years, has it changed us? Are we now temperate? What does that word mean to you? You know, temperate. Calm. When caught up in one of life's storms. They do come, don't they? Are we secure and confident in who we are in Christ? Especially when we're under spiritual attack. Temperate. You know, God's word and the Holy Spirit at work, are we worthy of respect? I believe it's something that we have to earn. We have to earn that respect by the people we are, by the way we live, by the way we treat others, by the way we relate to them. Older men, are we worthy of respect? Are we self-controlled? Oh, that's another one. Disciplined in every area of life, isn't it? No point in saying, yes, I'm well-controlled there and not there. Oh, come on. Self-controlled. It's wide, wide area. Disciplined, yes, in every area of life. When I was preparing, I read a lovely comment about this. It says, have we as older men learnt from and given up the foolish and rash behaviour of our younger days. Oh, somebody say no. <laughs> there we are. You know, this is what Paul is saying, that God's truth, thrown at us, as it were, should be bringing about these things in our lives. Are we sound in faith, love and endurance? What does that say to you? You know, this speaks to me of stability and stickability. We're not swayed, we're not moved off course by popular philosophies and public opinion. You know, the world out there tells me, Brian, if it feels good, do it. No. No way. Remain sound in faith, love and endurance. Paul tells Titus to teach the older women. I'm looking around. He says, teach them to be reverent. Teach them to be reverent in the way they live. You know, this is a call, isn't it? This is a call for the presence of God to permeate their whole lives. For the presence of God 
to permeate their whole lives. So they've got that reverence about them. You know, nowhere should that reverence be more evident than in all their relationships. It's where it matters. No slander, says Paul. I suspect there were many older women in Crete who gossiped, spread rumour, and did lots of backbiting. But slander, gossip, and backbiting are so, so disastrous, so destructive. I recall that visit many years ago when I was told, as it happens by an older woman, Oh, Brian, I've been told this in strict confidence, so I must tell you. (laughs) Because you need to know what Mrs. X is like. Oh, thank you. It's meant to be helpful. It was little more than gossip which was going to destroy an individual. No slander. No addiction to much wine. Oh, it does say no addiction to much wine. Come on, do note. I think a little is okay. I don't think Jesus denied the older women glass of wine at the wedding in Cana. However, elsewhere in Proverbs, we do read that there's a reminder how wine confuses and wine leads us astray. Then the older women, they're to teach what is good. This last week, um, a friend called home and uh, talked about a very special dish that she'd just made. She then gave Hazel the recipe and explained how to make something which is mm, really, really good. Fine, lovely, thank you. I'm looking forward to the, 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 the result. In a sense, she was teaching something that was good. But what's Paul got in mind here? He says, come on, older women, you should be eager to share the good news of Jesus. You should be teaching that to others. His recipe, the good news of Jesus is God's recipe for life. It's God's recipe for life in all its fullness. Not how to make a special dish, but how to live our lives. And notice that the older women are the ones who are to teach and train the younger women. I note that Titus was to step aside. Did you notice, or have you had a chance to pick that up? Titus was to step aside and leave the role of discipling young women to the older women. Emily, I think this was an early form of safeguarding. Well, there's something here in that the seasoned and experienced older generation have something to pass on to those who may be searching and seeking the beginners in one sense. And then we go on to the younger women group. Oh, yes, lots of you here. Uh, Look at verses 4 and 5. Should we look at that quickly? Verses 4 and 5. The younger women are to love their husbands and children. They are to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands. Well, come on, how do I summarize that lot quickly? You know, there's so much there that is in direct contrast to what the world tells us. 
You know, the world out there tells all of us and tells the younger women, commercial after commercial, advert after advert suggests, live for yourself. Buy this, have this, have what you want, look after yourself. That's what matters. No. The younger woman is taught not to be self-centered, not to be self-focused. It's not all about her, but with that clear responsibility to build up a strong family, to build up a family built up in love. There's reference once again to self-control and also to purity and kindness. But the emphasis is on the young woman as mother at the heart and center of family life, exhibiting all that is best in a truly Christian marriage and a Christian home. And now, quickly, the young men. Young men, you're listening. Is there any one quality that young men are urged to develop? And it's that of self-control. That's where the emphasis is here. Mastery of themselves. This covers a vast, vast area again, doesn't it? Youth. How many people can remember their youth? You know, oh, some can. Oh, it's not that far away. Even I don't feel it's that far away. Um, but youth, that time of overflowing zeal, that time of restless energy, that time of burning desires. Paul says, come on. These self-control in all these areas. This needs to be put under control. Your temper, your tongue, your ambition, your greed, your sexual urges. Carry on, carry on. You know what I mean. Young men are to be encouraged to be self-controlled. And the pattern, note quickly, and the pattern set by their leaders their pastor, their teacher, is a powerful example of how they are to be. Titus is told here to set an example by doing what is good, exercising great care to present a consistent pattern of good works. He's to be a model to give the young men direction to give them challenge, to give them inspiration. You know, the teacher will inevitably use words, but his behavior and his action need to match what he says. Teaching an example, the verbal and the visual, form a very powerful combination. And there's, that's a reminder, yes, a reminder to Titus, to Ian, to me, to all of us who stand up in front and preach, who teach, who address others. We are to live what we profess. And what we say should be characterized by integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. You know, this integrity, this seriousness and soundness of speech mean that our teaching corresponds with our faith and trust in God our Father, corresponds with Jesus our Redeemer and the Holy Spirit and the authority of God's word revealed to us 
in the biblical truths. And that we are reverent, that we're dignified and earnest. And that all that is said is free from anything to which exception might be taken. The final group to be addressed to the slaves. It's not, a, it's not a word that we use very much these days. But I expect we, this really refers to those who work for others under a boss. And there again we see the qualities that should be developed in their lives. I'm going to stop there. But let me just conclude by saying Paul is really underlying and saying that teaching what is in accord with sound doctrine will bring about transformation in people's lives. And he lists there, as we've noted, the transformed characteristics within certain groups. He is specific but I don't believe that we should limit each and every quality to the older or to the younger men or to the older or the younger women. Nor must we think that the list is all-embracing. There will be other transformations, and there will and there must be overlap. Yes, there will be, as God's truth works in us to be temperate and or self-controlled or reverent or kind or sound in faith or whatever you see in fact the sound doctrine and the Holy Spirit should bring about and establish in all of us these and other godly characteristics these are measures of our character so that the body of Christ is just built up and we become mature You know, mature, as Paul says in his letter to the church in Ephesus, attaining to the full and whole measure of the fullness of God, of Christ. Amazing, isn't it? That we could become and grow to be more and more like Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you know each one of us here individually. You know us too as as a church, as a body. You know our strengths and our weaknesses. But we know too how in your grace you have changed us over the years. In you, we are a new creation. But there's still work to be done. Oh, may your truths and the Holy Spirit continue their transforming work in us and may we give you all the praise and all the glory Amen